Well, take your Bible this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, you know, we've been going through a series in the Old Testament, but we're really going to be talking about Christmas uh, this morning. Uh, But we're going to begin in the Old Testament, in Isaiah uh, chapter 42. And by the way, uh, just like everything in Scripture, it began in the Old Testament. Christmas began in the Old Testament. It was a promise. When you think about Christmas, if you don't think about anything else, remember the word promise. Because Christmas is about God keeping His promises. I know sometimes in life it may seem that uh, God has forgotten you perhaps. I think all of us have felt that way at one time or the other. Maybe you feel like life is passing you by. But God never forgets His people. And God in the advent, in the coming of Christ... In the manger at Bethlehem, more than anything else, that was and is a fulfillment of God's promise. It is an example of the faithfulness of God. And so what we want to do this morning is look in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse number 9. And there the prophet says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you, of them. And then if you look over in Isaiah 43 and verse number 18, uh, there the prophet Isaiah, in a, hold it just a second, I changed to a different book. Let's see, Isaiah 43, verse number 18. Uh, and there the prophet said, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Behold, it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I've shared with you before that I believe Christmas is a time to remember that God specializes specializes in making people new. That is really the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. We got some babies on the way in our church. And it's always exciting to have a baby. A baby, if a baby represents anything, it represents something new. Everything changes with a baby. I think one of the, somebody wrote a Christmas song uh, not long ago that a baby changes everything. Uh, Talking about the baby Jesus, of course. But that's true not only of the baby Jesus, but that's true in our individual lives. A baby does change everything. And when we think about the coming of Christ and we think about Jesus in that manger, it reminds us that Jesus came to make us new. It is all about us becoming new. And that's what Isaiah was saying there in Isaiah 43. He says, I'm going, the Lord said through Isaiah, I'm going to do something new. Don't remember the old things. Don't let the old things uh, occupy your mind. But focus ahead. Look ahead because something new is coming. And I want to take a few minutes this morning and talk about some of the new things that Jesus brought us through His coming, that Christmas brings us, if you will, that is the coming of Christ. And the first thing that I want to talk about begins in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 31. Jeremiah 31, 31, there the prophet says, the Lord says through Jeremiah, and and remember by the way, you know, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. 
Jeremiah in his life and the time that he lived, there was a lot to weep about. His nation was in disarray. His nation was being destroyed. And when he looked around him, he didn't see anything to be happy about. He was a very sad man. He was a sad prophet, a weeping prophet. And it's interesting that God used Jeremiah to bring this promise. In Jeremiah 31, verse number 31, this is what the Lord says. Behold, the days are coming says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. In the book of Jeremiah, in the time that Jeremiah lived, a time of sadness and a time of sorrow and a time of weeping, God gave Jeremiah hope. And God told Jeremiah, Behold, Jeremiah, there's coming a day. And by the way, one of the things that Jeremiah was so upset about was the spiritual state of the people of Israel. The fact that God had given them His law and they had abandoned God's law. They were not following God's law. They were living very wicked lives. And Jeremiah, when God gave him that message, he says, Listen, Jeremiah, I'm going to give a new covenant. Not the old covenant which my people broke. Although I was a husband, I was a faithful husband to them. And like an unfaithful wife, they ran away with someone else. But God says, I'm going to make a new covenant. A new covenant with my people. And so that is one of the promises that God gives us through the coming of Christ. Is that there's going to be a new covenant. And if you go all the way over to Luke chapter 22, there is an announcement Made when Jesus is giving what we know as the Last Supper. He was actually observing the Jewish Passover. And that Jewish Passover, as he observed it, he made this statement. The Bible says he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it. He gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Jeremiah, the Lord through Jeremiah, prophesied that there's going to come a new covenant, a new agreement, a new covenant. And Jesus in Luke 22, He announced the fulfillment of that prophecy. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, you might be saying, well, what exactly is the new covenant that he's talking about. Well, I'm I'm glad you asked. That gives me an opportunity to share with you from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a wonderful book, although if you're not familiar with what the book of Hebrews is about, it may seem a bit confusing to you when you begin to read it. And so, let me just give you a little bit of advice on reading the book of Hebrews. First of all, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Hebrews never tells us who its author is. But as its name suggests, it is a book that was primarily written to Jewish people. 
And as you read the book, there's a theme in that book. And you could summarize the theme of the book of Hebrews with one word. Better. Better. All through the book of Hebrews, there is a contrast made between the new covenant that we're talking about this morning and the old covenant that is exemplified and is shown in the Old Testament. All through the book of Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews has one goal, and that is to convince his Jewish readers, many of whom were kind of in a no-man's land, between ritual Judaism and the Christian message of the gospel of grace. They weren't sure which way to go. They, they were holding on to the old, those ceremonial ritualistic laws and rules that the old covenant contained, the sacrifices in the temple that they had been taught to do on a regular basis. And then the message that they heard of the gospel of grace that, that Jesus came as the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. But it was very difficult for them. They had been raised Underneath that Jewish ritualism, it was hard for them to let go of that and fully embrace the gospel of grace. And, and sometimes they would go back into, they'd go back to the temple, then they, would, then they would go over to the gospel of grace. And the book of Hebrews is written to awaken them and says, listen, Jesus brings a new covenant. It is not a casting away of the old. It is a fulfillment of the old. The old is fulfilled and something better and something new as the old prophesied, as Jeremiah prophesied and others would prophesy. This old covenant is fulfilled and there's something new there. So what is that new covenant? If you look there really in Hebrews, your homework, by the way, if you want some homework, Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10. We don't have time to read those three chapters, but if you want to take a look at the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant, just read the, those three chapters in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 9, and Hebrews chapter 10. We're just going to pick out a couple of verses this morning. And the first one is Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. Here, the writer of the book of Hebrews, he quotes from that verse that I just read a moment ago from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, and he is talking about the old covenant being fulfilled. Notice Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. He says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second, because finding fault with them, he said, now he begins to quote from Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying know the Lord for all shall know and uh, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more now he stopped quoting from the Old Testament in verse 13 he picks back up his commentary and he says in that it says a new covenant he has made the first obsolete now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now you and I need to understand something as I've preached the last several months about the Bible Jesus read. There's 
an error that we make. There's two errors that we make when we talk about the Old Testament. The first error that we can make is to ignore the Old Testament and say, well, that doesn't matter. That's the Old Testament. That's a severe error. That's why I said that we were going through a series named the Bible that Jesus read to remind us that Jesus read that Bible. That was the Bible Jesus read. It does matter. It is the Word of God. But there's a second error that the people that the book of Hebrews was writing to made that you and I can make and some people make today, and that is to take the Old Testament and say, well, all of those Jewish laws apply to us today. We have to follow the Old Testament. I, if you had some bacon this morning, you're falling short. You know, because that's against the dietary laws in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, we're already falling short. We should have met yesterday, right? Because yesterday was the Sabbath. Sunday is the first day of the week. I'll never forget as a kid, when I was in first grade, uh, I remember them telling me that Sunday was the first day of the week, and I had a little trouble with that. I thought, well, now, wait a minute. You know, I was kind of putting my Sunday school, you know, you know, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And in my little first grade mind, that meant Sunday. The Sabbath was Sunday. I said, now, wait a minute. Sunday must be the seventh day of the week because the Lord rested on the seventh day. And, and I was a little confused there as a child, not understanding, but absolutely, Sunday is the first day of the week. So if we're trying to follow the Old Testament law, uh, we've already missed it by meeting this morning. We should have met yesterday. As a matter of fact, we have some friends called Seventh-day Adventists. You, right? And that's their whole, their whole uh, dogma. Part of it is, is that we need to go back and, and pick up the Old Testament and meet on the Sabbath and, and do some of the other things that the Old Testament commands. And the book of Hebrews is all about reminding us that Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. And that's what Hebrews is telling us, that that old ceremonial law has been fulfilled. You don't have to keep the dietary law of the Old Testament. However, and make sure you understand this, God's moral law never changes. God may change the way we worship Him. He may change the types and the figures that He uses to represent Himself to humankind the way that we worship, but He never changes His nature, His moral law. So it's interesting to note that all of the Ten Commandments are, are, are reiterated, are stated again in the New Testament with one exception, and that is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You know, Paul expressly talks about one at one, one honoring a day and someone else doesn't honor a day, but each one be convinced in his own mind. But you know, sin is sin. Adultery and murder and lying, uh, that was a sin in the Old Testament. It's a sin in the New Testament. It's a sin today. God's moral law, you're not free from God's moral law. But what Jesus did, He fulfilled that ceremonial law in the Old Testament so that we no longer have to follow that. And let me just read a couple other verses to explain that to you. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse number 6, he says he's talking about the Old Testament and how they would go through their ceremonial worship in those first few verses of chapter 9. And he picks up in verse 6. He says, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holy...
holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed under the time of reformation. But, and I love that word. When you see that word, always pay attention. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Remember the theme of Hebrews? The theme of Hebrews is better, better. The better covenant, the better uh, tabernacle. And so he says, Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. One of the reasons it is important to understand and know something about the Old Testament is you don't fully understand Jesus dying on the cross without understanding what it was based upon. Or should I say this? I actually said that backwards. Actually, the Old Testament ceremony of offering up the Lamb was based upon the future sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. You see, Jesus was our Passover lamb. Always in the Old Testament, as the writer of Hebrews said, when they would go into the temple and they would offer up an earthly sacrifice, an animal on that altar, that was reminding them that the wages of sin is death, that there's a penalty for sin. And what that animal was doing, the shedding of that blood, was reminding them that sin must be paid for. Remember, your sin will find you out. The wages of sin is death. And when that animal was slain, it was reminding the people that that animal is taking your place. The shedding of blood is symbolic of the penalty of sin. And that animal was slain. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you don't think that the blood of a bull or the blood of a goat or the blood of a lamb is going to make somebody's heart clean, do you? He said that was temporary. That was a temporary thing that was pointing to something in the future. You know, one of the things that teachers love to do, I know now there's so many electronic things that we do, it's, it's amazing. We can watch videos and, you know, I still remember the old films that we watched in class. You know, they'd turn the little round thing on and it was always a terrible tragedy when the film projector tore up. We were so looking forward to watching a film in class and the, that old thing would get tore up and wouldn't work right. But I can remember in Sunday school as a kid, one of the uh, things that they would use to give us an example, those, remember the flannel graph boards? Anybody remember the flannel graph boards? You know, you had the flannel and you'd put the little, little people on it and it would make the, little, uh, make the little story come alive for the children. That's what the Old Testament sacrifices were. A flannel graph board. Or let me, let me fast forward from the 60s and the 70s to the 21st century. It was a video it was a movie. It was an example to show people 
what must happen, that sin had to be paid for. That was what all those Old Testament sacrifices were. They were pointing to the real. Just like that flannel graph board was not a real person, it was an example of something that was real. Just like that movie or that projection is not a real person or a real event, it is an example or pointing to something that is real, trying to explain it to people. And so that's what the Old Testament ceremony was. That's what the temple was. That's what the sacrifice was. That's what the Holy of Holies represented when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. It represented that God is holy. You cannot approach God of your own. You're sinful. You're wicked. You're evil. You must be cleansed. And when Jesus came and He died on the cross, that's what He did. That is what all of that was pointing to. That there's coming a Lamb who will die upon a cross. He will be sacrificed for my sin and for your sin. And by the way, my dear friend, in our modern culture, do you know why we we don't talk about the death of Christ as much as we should? Just think about the last time you turned on uh, the radio or you turned on the television or you turned on a Christian sermon and you heard somebody preaching about the death of Jesus, Jesus dying for your sin. Because for the death of Jesus to mean anything to anybody, that person must first of all feel that they are guilty. The death of Jesus is a meaningless event. It is almost uh, a repulsive event if you don't have a knowledge, a recognition that I am a sinner, that I am condemned, that, that, that I, I, need, I need forgiveness, I need redemption, I need salvation, I am guilty. Only when you recognize that you are a sinner underneath the judgment of God does the cross of Christ mean anything to you. Because the cross of Christ represents an, an, an opportunity for a new beginning. It represents an opportunity to have your old sins washed away and a new life began. And that's exactly what the new covenant here in Hebrews is all about. One more passage and then we'll move on from the book of Hebrews. Over in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 11. Here um, we see Christ is the mediator of that new covenant. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 11. There the Bible says, I think I just read that, didn't I? Yes, I did. Uh, look there in verse, chapter number 10, verse number 11. He says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. He says that Old Testament priest, he was offering sacrifices every day. That couldn't actually take away anybody's sin. He says, But this man, talking about Jesus after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God, and from that time waiting until his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, he's quoting from the Old Testament again, says the Lord, I will put my law into their heart, and in their mind I will write them... Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now he picks up verse 18 on his commentary again. Now where there is remission of those sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. And verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, 
that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he that is promised is faithful, and let us consider one another to order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. There in verse 19 uh, through number 23, he talks about Jesus having made for us a new and a living way into the Holy of Holies. So that old covenant reminded us there was no way to God. The new covenant is Jesus making a way for us into the Holy of Holies so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. We can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can communicate with Him, not having to feel guilty and unworthy because we're brought near not by the blood of a lamb or the blood of a goat, but by the blood of Jesus who saves us from our sin and pays the penalty for our sin. Well, something else we find in the Old Testament that we're promised in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Not only did God promise a new covenant, a new union, if you will, with man, not dependent upon man's deeds, but Jesus having accomplished what we never could accomplish. He kept the Old Testament law that we could never keep, and we are one with God through Him. That is the new covenant. But He also promised a new heart, a new spirit, a new person within us. In Ezekiel 36, the prophet said, Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you will be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. There the Lord says, I am going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. Jesus said in John 3, 3, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. To be born again, you have a new heart. You have a new spirit. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul said, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Galatians six fifteen. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision. What's that represent? The Old Testament law. But a new creation. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says... You took off your former way of life, the old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new man, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. And finally, Colossians 3, Paul says, But now you must also put away the following anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his practices, and it put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of his creator. Here there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. There the prophet in Ezekiel said, I'm going to give you a new heart, a new spirit within you. And Jesus in the New Testament, He gives us that opportunity to have a new heart. Remember, my friend, the Christian faith 
is not simply a moral way of living. It is not simply a statement of rules and laws that you decide that you're going to obey. You know, if you decide you're going to be part of a club, all clubs have certain rules and, and regulations and, uh, you know, you maybe a certain thing you're supposed to wear or, or a certain thing that you're supposed to do. And some people view the church that way, that I'm going to become a member of the church. So that means that I'm going to start coming to church on Sunday and I'm going to start doing A, B, C, and D and I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z. Well, that may be a good idea to start doing good things and stop doing bad things, but that's not how you become a Christian. Christianity is a supernatural religion. It is a supernatural walk with God. And in order to become a follower of Christ, what has to happen is that God changes us not from the outside in, but from the inside out. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new spirit. And we follow Him from the inside out. And that's what the Old Testament prophet, that's what it was talking about, was God bringing something new on the inside of us, a new heart. And then lastly, we find a promise of a new song in Isaiah 42 that I read earlier when we first began. Isaiah 42, verse number 10, the very next verse says, Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise from the ends of the earth. I love what Psalm 40 says. I waited patiently for the Lord and He turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and He set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And in Revelation chapter 5, there's a picture of heaven. And the Bible says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and has redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. A new song. You know, when you have a new heart, when God's given you a new spirit, you have a new song, a new song to sing. You are a changed person. And did I say that was my last one? I, I lied, not on purpose. I just, got, I just got ahead of myself. One more. A new name. A new name. In Isaiah chapter 62, verse 2, the Bible says, Nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the Lord's mouth will announce. You will be a glorious crown in the Lord's hand and a royal diadem in the palm of your God. You know, all throughout human history, there's been a tradition of name changing. Name changing. It still, it still goes today. At least most of the time. When a woman gets married, she changes her last name to signify that there has been a change. That they are, she's now united to a husband. United to someone. I better stop there. Not make any commentary, but I can't help it. Um, I had someone sometime back come to me about getting married and, and uh, they said, well, you know, I'm not going to change my name. Is that a problem? I said, well, <laughs> I don't know, you know. Uh, I, I don't find a biblical thing. It's just kind of a customary thing. But anyway, I don't, they ended up not getting married, so I don't know. It's a whole other story. <laughs> but uh, what my thought, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But uh, a name change. You know, people have been known uh, through the centuries if, uh, if they wanted to start anew. People do it today. They'll change their name. They'll change their name into something else, signifying a new beginning and a new start. 
You know, and the Bible tells us, as a matter of fact, even in our Christian history, it's often been when people would become a Christian, they'd say, well, my Christian name, back in the old days, you know, often if someone was a pagan and they were convert, they converted to Christianity, maybe they'd been given a, a name that was the name of a pagan god by their parents or whatever. Often they would change their name to a, a biblical name, a name from Scripture. And uh, we still say, well, is that your Christian name? You, you know, that's kind of an antiquated phrase, but that's kind of what it means. Is that the name you were given, uh, you know, at your uh, Christian birth, if you will. So, But God says that we're going to have a new name. That represents that we are now part of God, that God, we are united with Him, that we belong to Him. And I love Revelation 2.17. You know, Isaiah 62 is kind of the prophecy of the new name, and Revelation 2.17 is the fulfillment of that. Here in Revelation 2.17, the Bible says, Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. God names us. That's special. That's special to think that God gives us a name comes from God, not from anyone else. It comes from Him. It represents that we now belong to Him. And the last passage that I'll read is Revelation chapter 21, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Revelation 21, verse number 1. And I want you to notice how many times the word new comes up in this passage. John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, a prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then He that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. When you think about Christmas, as we get close to the celebration of the coming of Jesus to this world, remember that Christmas represents something new. Something new. I tell you, there is the Christian message, the true gospel, is a message that can be preached to anybody, anywhere, in any circumstance, from a man on his deathbed to a child in a Sunday school class. And that same message can be preached, which is a promise that if you will come to Jesus, give Him your old, give Him your old life, your old habits, your old hang-ups, your old sins, and what He offers you is a new life, new desires, a new meaning, a new purpose, a new hope. That is the message of Christmas. The message that Jesus came in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that I will send something new. A new covenant, a new hope. Jesus is that fulfillment. He is the mediator of that new covenant. He is our new hope. He is the one who's coming one day and is going to make everything new. That's my hope. And I pray that is your hope as well. 
Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the promise of Your Word. We thank You that You have promised that You will bring all things to a fulfillment and You will make all things do. And I thank You, God, that You've promised to us individually. If our life is broken by sin, our life is wrecked by strife, Lord, that You promise something new. If we will bring our brokenness to You, that You will give us a new heart and a new life and a new purpose. And God, I pray that You do that for each of us. There's one here that does not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. I pray You draw them today. I pray You draw all of us ever closer to You. And let us remember Your promise to bring newness to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing, if God has spoken to your heart, you want to come pray or make a decision for the Lord, you just obey the Lord as we sing.